Well, I mean, we've just got to be uh, accountable. I mean, the, the way we've played, I could have taken a lot of guys out, but uh, I got one extra forward, and uh, I chose him. 701 on a Wednesday, Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. That voice you just heard, was that of Vancouver Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux explaining the decision to healthy scratch Connor Garland from last night's 4-3 overtime loss to the Blue Jackets in Columbus. It was an interesting move, to be sure. I want to discuss it in a moment. Before we do that, I want to tell you two things. One, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Three dealerships to serve you better. North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. Uh, I also want to tell you about um, North Star Metal Recycling. 702, so we're in the second hour of the Halford and Bruff Show. Second hour is brought to you by North Star. Uh, Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. So the Garland scratch. There's a few texts coming in about that decision. And then the bigger picture at large, what it all means. You know, you look for signs of distress on a hockey team. And the first thing you do is look at the win-loss column. That's usually a good sign of distress. Mm -hmm. Teams that are distressed usually have lots of L's. Teams that don't have distress have lots of W's. Then you start looking for the signs. The things that don't necessarily show up on box scores and win-loss columns. and, And right now, again, I would like to reiterate that as an organization, specifically as a head coach... There's only a handful of playbook moves that you can do to change things up, to rally the guys. We've all watched and consumed hockey for long enough to know what they are. Uh, Canucks have already burned through a couple of them, and it's four games into the season. The, the players only meeting, that was real quick, right? Usually you don't see that three games into a season, but here you did. Um, healthy scratching Connor Garland is uh, it, it, was a, it was a gesture more than a tactic, if that makes sense. I think that's how I would classify it. Because when Bruce Boudreaux says, I could have done that to a lot of guys, it was very clear that there was more about sending a message as opposed to trying to have some bigger tactic at play. So that's two pretty significant playbook moves that the Canucks have already used up in this very young season. Well, it was interesting that Boudreaux said, I could have picked a lot of guys. Right. If I wanted to healthy scratch someone, right? But he chose Connor Garland. You know, a lot of people texting in about Tanner Pearson. Sure, could he have scratched Tanner Pearson? Yeah, he could have. Could he have scratched Tanner Pearson? Doesn't doesn't even like kill penalties much anymore, right? So you're not looking at one of those scenarios where you're going, well, you you can't scratch him because you know he kills penalties or he he's got this role, right? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Tanner, Tanner Pearson did come out of the lineup. I don't think he's been very good, but I think there's been a lot of guys that aren't very good. Now, the ultimate the ultimate scratch would be JT Miller, but I don't think that's going to happen. Text he just signed a text. massive contract, right? Mm-hmm. It's just I, I don't see it happening. If it did, yikes. And frankly, if it did the way he's played, it would be like, yeah, it's probably a good call, right? Yep. You know, Text into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. Uh, unsigned, so it must be from Gary. Saying we got to be accountable and then scratching Garland instead of Miller is super Hypocritical. I don't know if it's super hypocritical. Also, uh, prior to last night, Miller had three points in three games. Say what you will about his complete lack of defensive awareness. Uh, I, When I heard that Garland was getting scratched, my re- response was, oh, that's surprising, but I'm not surprised, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, someone was going to – someone had to go. 
someone had to go. And if it's Garland, it's like, sure, why not? Things were pretty desperate at that point. When you scratch someone like Garland, too, it's it's like an easy scratch. Right? It doesn't affect... You don't have to reach for it. No, no, no. It doesn't affect your special teams. No. Right? no. Yeah, not not in a major, major way. You're not like, okay, if, like, if, if you're to scratch JT Miller, for example, right? That affects how you run your power play. Yes. Right? Yes. He's, I mean, Quinn Hughes, you can say, like, Quinn Hughes is the is the defenseman out there, but JT Miller in a lot of ways quarterbacks that power play. He's also out there a lot for penalty killing. Now, whether he should be, we can debate that. Um, you know, when I saw the Garland scratch, I was like, whoa, that's interesting. And I actually wondered, well, I wonder if he's maybe a little bit banged up, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I thought, eh, I can see why Garland was the guy because earlier in the season, we'd have probably said, well, Nils Hoaglander will come out just because – Nils Hoaglander, right? And but I think Hoaglander's played well. He he needs to bury some chances. That would be nice. But I think overall, he's played pretty well. If we're going on the positives, and we've done a lot of negatives, and uh, I will dedicate the positives to the guy who texts in and said, "Would you rather have lost all four games four to one? It's not as bad as you're making it out to be." Okay. I would not, you know what? I would not have rather lost all four games four one. I'll answer. That's your a good question. point. You know yeah, what? I would not have. Yeah, that would no. You're, that is a great question, and I will answer. It's it a by great saying, point. Yes. No. Yeah. I I'm much happier that the Canucks have one point than zero points. I hope we got that out there. Yeah. I hope. Did everyone on board with this groundbreaking assessment? I could use some clarification. So you're happy? Yes. We have a single point over zero points. Yes. Guys, that th- is better. that's ideal. Guys, yeah. in theory, they could have lost. Each of those four games, eight nothing. What happens if they got shut out all four losses? That would can be you imagine even how worse. bad that would have been? Could you imagine nine nothing, ten nothing? I could. Eleven nothing. Yes, and perhaps that twelve. Would, and like, but but like twelve nothing. But they had a bunch of posts, so you're kind of like, oh yeah. come on, like yes. we're, we're right there, we're right there. Things could be so much worse. So things could be so much. Nobody has caught on fire. Nope. No. During any of these games. No spontaneous yeah, combustions on the ice. I think that's like super positive, but positive. In, in reality. I'm glad you read that. I feel better now. <laughs> um, I like Pod Colson's game right now. I could see, I, I could use more Pod Colson out there. Pod Colson nearly he's, killed a man last he's night. He's physically involved. Um, he's getting hit, but, you know, making plays before he gets hit. Blankenberg, he was like, what? But did Blankenberg just hit me? Blankenberg's tiny, and he plays physical. He was running around trying to hit people. Yeah, he throws his body at. People. He throws his body. <laughs> yeah, one of those guys. <laughs> but Pod uh, Colson, Pod Colson nearly killed Peak at the end of the game, wasn't it? it wasn't Blankenberg? It was, it was Peak. Peak. Yeah, was Peak. Peak had a tough game. And that too, right? wasn't great for he him. Took he took a puck to the face and then a Pod Colson to the face. Puck to the ear and then a Pod right. Colson to the. <laughs> it was it was a good hit, but he got blown up in a major way. Uh, so there are a few positives, like. You know, the Canucks not losing all their games 4-1. to Okay, yeah. Uh, I think that's awesome. You had Um, another positive in here, didn't you? Oh, I think Petey's been good. Yeah, Pedersen's been very good. Uh, Horvat scored two goals last night. Yeah, Horvat responded, for sure. The captain had that dog in him last night. So Horvat was with Besser and Pearson. Pedersen was with Colson and Holglander. And then Miller was with Kuzmenko and Mikheyev, and that was the line that really struggled. So I don't know if those three are going to be together again. But then I just don't know what you do. Like, let's say you move – let's say you put the the lotto line back together. Yeah. Then it makes it pretty complicated 
for your second and third lines, but we're not going to go through that exercise on the air right now. I think it's. I, I'll just be very curious to see if Miller's playing center again. I think you it's going to happen in Minnesota. If yeah, it, I mean it might because if Bruce Boudreaux looks at the, it's just it's just a matter of being engaged and being a leader defensively on the ice. When you're a center, you have more responsibilities. You have to skate more. It's just like you know in football and defensively like. Like, okay, well, let's do use a soccer one. Okay. There's probably a guy in soccer, is it the center back that's responsible for organizing everyone? How does it work in soccer? There's usually one guy that's in charge of, like, yelling at everyone. Keeper? Center back? Usually right. the guys in the, you know, deepest central most positions. They can mm-hmm. see everything in front of them, right? Right. So those are the guys that call out assignments. So. Well, in football, it would be, like, the middle linebacker or whatever. You the know? Mike? Yeah. Yeah. No, that would be very, so, that would be pretty accurate. So yeah. when when you're a center, you just have responsibilities. And JT Miller, in his own words, said before the season, like, I need to be better defensively. And and this is probably why players hate getting into specifics about their games because they know jackals like us will use it against him. But what he said was, sometimes I get caught puck watching. And on Columbus's first goal, that's what he was doing. You know, you hear that saying, you got to keep your head on a swivel. His head was not on a swivel. Now, to be fair to JT Miller, nobody's heads were on a swivel on the Canucks last night, especially on that first goal. They were all puck watching. Columbus sneaks a guy through the back door, and then it's 2-1 for the Canucks, right? And then everyone's going, "Uh uh-oh, here we go, and there it went. Um, Let's go into the Dunbar Lumber text inbox right now. Sure. Because a lot of people have some comments that they want to get off their chest. One from Comox. What's the difference between this management group and the old regime? Different people. This regime hasn't done anything to the core. They've had plenty of time to see this team. Surely they must know it's not working. It didn't work before them, and it's not working now. The problem, one, is that it was working when they got there. Also, I think it really complicated things the way the Canucks finished their season. It was very co- – and then you combine that with the flat salary cap. Like, I think if the Canucks had finished badly last season, like things hadn't gotten much better under Bruce Boudreaux, the flat salary cap wouldn't have been as much of – like, they they would have done – that was a huge sigh you just had. They wouldn't I'm have done, about what you're saying. They, w- they wouldn't have gone, well, it's impossible to make moves. They would have been more aggressive. Or they would have been more hesitant to re-sign Besser and Miller. Right? Well, yeah, and that was yeah. a big part of that's, what they did. Right? That's the crux of a lot of people's arguments right now. Um, they're like, yes, and I'm not trying to – at this point, I, I'll come on and say it. I've been underwhelmed at the Rutherford and Alvin regime. Uh, as far as the on ice product goes, I know that they rebuilt literally an entire organization. Yeah. In ter- so I know that there's been a lot on their plates, but the on ice product, I've been underwhelmed because what they've said were the perceived weaknesses of the team never got addressed. And it almost seems like um, the flat cap has prevented Rutherford from doing traditional Rutherford things. So he's just kind of settled. And right now, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, and I, this goes back to before the Columbus game. We were in here yesterday morning, which feels like, I don't know, either 18 days ago or 18 minutes ago. I can't even tell anymore. This blue line is not NHL caliber. And for some reason or another, it did not even get remotely addressed in the offseason. 
That's a disappointment to me. That's an underwhelming yeah. offseason for a management group. It's totally over underwhelming. Totally underwhelming. And now that it's being played out in real time. Yeah. I guarantee you it was not on the whiteboard of things to do this week was fly Tyler Myers cross country with two games left on a road trip because you needed a win in Columbus so badly. I bet that wasn't the plan. I bet they did not say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to keep you in Vancouver for the, the first part of the trip. Mikhaev will fly, by the way, so that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Mikhaev went with the team. Myers didn't. And then... Uh, before how many cl- different ways are you going to pronounce Mikhaev? I know, I'm going to say, year? I love how he swaps back and forth between the yeah. two. Yeah, let's, I want to cover my bases. <laughs> yeah, I want to be safe. Like, who knows? Anyway, carry on. And then we're going to get Myers to come out <laughs> on the second of a back-to-back. Tall people love to fly. They love it. They love being <laughs> folded up. He was in coach, too. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, he was in cargo. <laughs> anyway, the point being is that this is probably not how anybody envisioned it going. I can't imagine they did. And now it almost becomes this guessing game of what's the next move they're going to make to try and fix it. Am I, not, am I wrong? Yeah. That's, that's the total guessing game now. I think it? we're all waiting for it. And they better it, not. It, better. You know, but you know what the answer, the answer is not let's let them play their way out of it. No. no. They've tried playing their way out of it. It doesn't work. Trade mm-hmm. a forward for a defenseman. Well, no. I mean, <laughs> just do I, it. I, well, that's a great just idea. Just do it. Yeah, I know. Do you think they've Have considered they that? that? Do you think they've been so around easy. their hockey meeting and they're like, guys. You know, guys, we have a lot of one thing and not guys, enough of another. Yeah. What if? I know. It's no so talking. Simple. No talking. Just let, 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 let. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like. Should I go I, over there and I talk to I just want to be really focused on here. What <laughs> if we took a forward? Like Connor Garland, for example. Yeah. Like he was a healthy scratch. What if? We turned him into a top four defense. It's right there. <laughs> it's right it's there right for you. There. It seems so simple. Um, there's a question into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Yep. About trading Bo Horvat and can the Canucks really afford to trade Bo Horvat if JT Miller's not a real center and if JT Miller's better on the wing? That is definitely a conundrum. You do not want to trade away centers if you're not sure how you can replace them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, you don't want to overpay a guy like Bo Horvat. It, it's a, it is a really tough puzzle for this management group, but that's why they're paid a lot of money mm-hmm. to manage these things. And that's why they brought in a guy like Jim Rutherford, who's in the Hockey Hall of Fame, who's seen it all who's dealt with these sorts of issues before. You know, I know Patrick Alvin's the general manager, but Jim Rutherford, as far as I'm concerned, the buck stops with him. He is the president of Hockey Ops, and what he says will go. Uh, Nate from Comox actually wrote in on this. He said, Alvin isn't the gunslinger, the poho president of Hockey Ops is. If you've listened to Rutherford, he says he's trying to stay away and let people do their jobs. So why do we keep thinking he's the one making all the big decisions? Uh, I keep thinking that because I think that's what he's doing. I I agree with Jason 100%. I think the buck does stop with old Jim Rutherford, not Benning. I think, I think if you build something out and you want to have a general manager underneath you, you do it exactly the way that Rutherford has. Like He's very much detailed. Alvin is a day-to-day guy. Right, He's in charge of a multitude of things that you need to take care of to run an operation like this on the day-to-day. 
But he's more of a, like, I don't know, for lack of a better term, a worker bee, right? And then Rutherford's the queen of the hive. That's the weirdest analogy ever, but it makes sense. So what we're doing is conjuring some weird images right now. Yeah, it's all it's all it's all about bees and honey. There's a honey thing that I got. I'll work on here. I'll workshop it later. But I, you know, I find it very hard to believe that Rutherford would take this gig with this team at the time that he took over. Yeah, and say now feels like a time to take a hands-off approach. Like you right. got to fix the thing. I'm right? just gonna watch my children thrive, right? Like the, the the his employees are his kids. Like, come on. I have a question for you guys. With if the salary cap goes up by four million next season, will it make it a lot easier for Rutherford and Elvine to trade a forward for a D man, assuming the cap constraints were the main issue with them not doing now? It tell season? me what forward they'll trade. I, I'm just the it's a good question in and general, it's, and, and it's worth bringing up because yesterday at the board of governors meeting, um. Gary Bettman did float the possibility that the salary cap will go up significantly next season. The expectation until yesterday when we heard this news was that the salary cap would go up like a million bucks uh, heading into next season. And then after that, it would start going up significantly. But according to Gary Bettman, revenues are ahead of schedule and the players owe the owners some money because of the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. But if those revenues are recovered in time for next season, maybe the salary cap goes up by $4 million then. It is worth noting. And yes, I think it might make it easier for the Canucks to make some trades. It might declog the pipes. Assuming that was the main a issue this bit. offseason. Like there was just no money to go around and they couldn't find a partner. Yeah, and, and I think what's happened, frankly, is I would not be surprised if... Like the, the salary cap is kind of like... it's I'm not saying it's arbitrary, like it is tied, but there is some wiggle room in how, in how they can set it, right? I think there have been a lot of teams that have probably reached out to the league and gone, guys, we need to we need some like wiggle room here. It's not just the Canucks. Like look at some of the other teams. Nobody has any money. Toronto, right? And if, when nobody has any, it's all everyone's, it's, capped. everyone's capped out yeah. pretty much. Even in right? the off season, like nobody had any room to do anything. And GMs don't like that, and owners don't like that because owners are competitive, and as much as they needed the hard salary cap to, you know, constrain themselves from making dumb mistakes, yeah. right? They they still want. They want to spend their way out of problems. They don't like being told, like, hey, there's nothing we can do here to improve this team. Yep. And again, look at Toronto right now. They're, they're are, they are one of many teams that is looking for a defenseman. Like, Jake Monson looks terrible. Justin Hall looks terrible. Yeah. Like, they don't look good right now on the blue line. So it's not like the Canucks are the only team trying to fix their defense. Didn't the Leafs have to start? I, I don't can't remember it was what Edmonton. I, Edmonton had to start with just seventeen skaters because Fogel and Yamamoto were hurt. Well, the, the Leafs opener. nearly had to do it yeah, too, with right? Tavares. But Tavares was able and to. And it play. was one of those things where it's like he's not going on long term injured reserve, so we don't get the cap relief, and that's what happened to Edmonton in that opener against the Canucks. It's Fog- I think it was Fogel and Yamamoto got hurt, and they were only going to be hurt for like a day or two. But because of all the cap confusion, they had to basically dress one less skater. Than they normally would. I, it's not good for the league, but as it pertains to the Canucks, yes, it'll open it up for them, but it, it opens it up for everyone around the league. Like it's not just it's not like Vancouver. We're going to give you four million additional cap space. Like everyone gets it, and also, um, I think that one trade might not fix the overriding issue with this blue line. No, it's, it would, there'll be a, hopefully a multitude. 
to right? help them. Yeah, it's it's just it's oddly constructed to begin with, right? Well, nothing's the pieces have never really fit perfectly, and I know a lot of blue lines don't fit can, perfectly. Can, but. can we also remember what Jim Rutherford said in the off season? It might have actually been a quote to Dollywall, where he said, "We'll deal with our salary cap issues the following summer." Yeah, he did say that, mm-hmm. right? When things clear up a little bit. And maybe, as Andy pointed out, the salary cap goes up more than we expected. But that, in the meantime, and some stuff drops off. Isn't but it here's like the, the thing: one of the LTIRs drop off, and but, the but Longo he, recapture. But here's the thing: in the meantime, if this continues, surely something has to be done. Don't call me Shirley. I'm proud of you for that Naked Gun reference. <laughs> or no, that, airplane, that, airplane, 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 sorry. Airplane. sorry. Um, it was Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, Someone just texted in. Rutherford also said it wasn't the players, it was the system. Yep, he did. He certainly did. Well, the and system does not look great right now. It does it not. It does not look like these guys are dialed in on the details, and that was the challenge that management lay at the coaching staff's feet. Right. And don't forget, there's a lot of new coaches in there that Bruce Boudreaux doesn't have much familiarity with. It just does not look. Is it Trent Cole with the mustache? By the way, yeah. I was I was like, is that Trent Cole with the mustache? Yeah, it is Trent Cole. Like, Trent's a fine looking mustache. He's growing that for intimidation. Yeah, it looks the good though. No, it is. Excellent mustache. See, there's a house of positivity. Trent Cole's mustache looks terrific. Glorious duster. Uh, I I do wonder where <laughs> the team that we saw last year under the good times under the Bruce there it is times is right now, because this team right now at times, looks more reminiscent to the Death March Travis Green teams than it does to any of the Boudreaux teams. Especially what, with the special teams. Can I? Here, here's one thing. When's the last time that the Canucks got out to a lead on someone and then laid the boots to them? Like, Jess was like, you know what? We're just piling this on tonight. 2 nothing's not good enough. 3 nothing's not good enough. We're going and going and going and going. Because they did it a few times last. Remember they did it to Calgary here? Yeah. Uh, I think they chased Markstrom, and then Vladar came in, and they let him up mm-hmm. too. They kicked the. I was yeah. going to say kick the piss. Can I say kick the piss? Yeah, that's they kicked the piss out of Dallas. Said it three times. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you can say it. Yeah, they 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 throttled Dallas. I think you were at that game. You're like, this is the most fun I've had at a game in in a long time. Yeah, I've been drinking, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, that helps. You were clapping so much. Bye. Oh yeah, my little claps and everything. Clapping. Yeah, we had some fun at the rink last year. Focus. And that's a good way to segue into this. There were certain times where they were playing under Boudreaux, and I don't know if it was because they were more loose and carefree or if there wasn't such a regimented system, but none of that is going on right now. They get out to a two-goal lead, and then all of a sudden it's like, how are we going to blow this? Right? It's never three, four, five. Like, just put the boots to someone. Columbus was a perfectly good booting team but you, yesterday. Do, you could have booted Columbus around. They stink. You've, you've heard the, the whole, like, the teams like a, a Boston or whatever, or teams that have been successful for a while and have that core – they have a system that they trust and they can always go back to. And it's like the security blanket for a team, right? doesn't look like the Canucks have that right now. Nope. They don't know, you know, they don't know what, <laughs> what they're doing I mean, <laughs> when they have a lead, right? Like, they, it doesn't bit. look, it doesn't look comfortable. They, they go into try to protect the lead mode and I, they're not very good at it. I don't even know <laughs> if they do. Well, you know, the the, here's the thing, like the puck management, some of the passes they were making, especially in the third period of the Washington game, you're like, uh, if this is if this is you trying to say, well, we're not going to sit back, right? Like there is a balance, right? Like it's tough to protect a lead. Like we've seen it in the NHL again, right? It's harder than maybe it's ever been. But they look, like, they look like like what do we do? We got two nothing lead. What do we do? what do we do now? They, they and sometimes start, they, they start playing confused. And sometimes really. they look 
frankly paralyzed yeah, and that's what yeah. JT Miller looked like in his own end he's just like, not doing anything he's like maybe if I just stand here really like you know like I'll be invisible but that first, that first game against Boudreaux was like score more goals going what? back that first game that opener against Edmonton when they were up three nothing it could I'm not joking it could have easily been five because Hoaglander missed a glorious opportunity on an odd man chance and Miller missed one as well well, they had a power play last night when they were up 2 nothing, and the power play just kind of fizzled. Like, I'm just saying, I know it's a tough league, and I know you can't convert on all your chances, and, you know, bounces transpire against you, and so does good goaltending. But there, to me, was like that almost set the wheels in motion for everything, where they were outplaying Edmonton, and they could have buried him, and they could have had him dead to rights. And, they, and the door was left open just that sliver. Well, I thought they were going to get a goal on that power play last night, and Elvis just stoned him. He looked it was fantastic. They were just peppering him. I was right. like, for and, sure they're going to score here. And that's what happens when the bad vibes start to leak in, is you kind of look at the sky, and you're like, we can't, nothing's going our way. You start, I mean, and, and Boudreaux's one, his famous line with the Capitals in from the 24-7 on HBO was, you're all sitting around feeling sorry for yourselves. And a lot of swear words in between that. And I wonder if you're going to start to hear a similar speech from him to his team is enough feeling sorry for yourselves. Just go out and win a hockey game. I don't care how it gets done, but stop feeling like you are going to blow every lead and start playing like you're going to take that lead and translate it into a victory. We'll see if it happens. They got a chance on Thursday against Minnesota. Okay, so we've done like an hour and a half of almost exclusively Canucks talk. It is your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650, so that's fair. We're going to dive into the baseball real quick coming up with Andy McCullough. Uh, national MLB writer for The Athletic. We've got game one of the ALCS tonight powerhouse matchup. Eh? Like the, I think that's the best-case scenario for Major League Baseball in terms of an American League matchup is Astros-Yankees. Who are you cheering for on this one? Uh, God, are we at the point where we're cheering for the Yankees? Can some they both of, lose? Some sort of asteroid. I'll, I'll be paying attention to it. I know that. I, mean, I like Aaron Judge, so I'll probably cheer for, for the Yankees. If I, had I can't to, stand the if Astros. You, I, if you had to tell what team right now would you want to go to the World Series, I'd say Yankees without hesitation. You keep saying Judge is leaving too, but he was kissing the Yankee logo yesterday, Alfred. That's important. Yeah. That he is important. He said he was watching soccer on, on the weekend. Well, making out. I saw I saw him uh, holding hands with the Mets logo, though. So Ooh. That's true. Yeah. Mr. Matt? Yeah. Mr. Matt, yeah. Wow. And he swiped right on the Red Sox on Tinder. So there's that, too. But uh, we'll talk baseball with Andy McCullough. Yeah, he's in the DMs of the Dodgers. Yeah. <laughs> Andy McCullough is going to join us next. Uh, we'll look ahead to game one of the ALCS. We'll look ahead to game two of the NLCS after the Phillies beat the Padres in game one. Lots of baseball on the ledger. It's coming up next. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Philly going down to yellow and brown. That's what's in. Padres on the loose. Let's go, Goose. That's what's in. I thought playing it once already would have sufficed. Yet, here we are, playing the Padres rap twice. Never get enough of the Padres. Actually, you know what? Greg really does like that. All of us are kind of quietly cringing on the inside, and you're bobbing your head along. That's like, what's in. Biting your lower lip. Mm. This heat is fire. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Speaking of heat and fire, Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. North Star! Vancouver's premier scrap metal recycler. 
Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. Talk a little baseball. Uh, Game one of the ALCS gets underway tonight. As soon as game two of the NLCS. Joining us to break it all down. uh, MLB writer for The Athletic, Andy McCullough, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, I want to start in the American League, where the ALCS is now set thanks to the Yankees' win over the Guardians last night. Quick turnaround for the Yankees. The positioning and the narrative for this series is really quite fascinating because the Astros have been a dominant team in the AL for the last six years, and then two of their trips to the World Series came at the expense of the Yankees. That includes that 2017, that tarnished title, and I didn't realize how much that still sticks in the craw of the Yankees, including Brian Cashman. So there's a really interesting dynamic going into this where the Yankees come in as underdogs and the team that needs to try and get one over on the Astros. And it's not really a familiar place for the Yankees. Always a powerhouse team. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the Yankees are very clearly the dog in this series. Um, you know, if you look at just kind of the two matchups on paper and then the Astros have kind of been – you know, lording over the American League for, as you said, six years now. So, yeah, it sets up an interesting dynamic. I mean, there's still the sort of ties to the sign-stealing stuff from 2017 that hasn't gone away. Um, You know, I talked to Brian Cashman this spring, just kind of bigger-picture stuff about his club, and I asked him just how he felt about the drought, and he kind of just popped off about the Astros, you know, uh, and pointing out like he didn't like that people – you know, suggested that there was a drought because it's like, Hey, we would have gone to the world series if they weren't cheating, which, you know, uh, that's his opinion. I mean, and they're certainly shared by a lot of people in New York. Um, so yeah, it, it serves as kind of a backdrop here. Uh, and, and even within like the context of this season, you know, the Yankees were like really kind of running away with the AL in the first half of the year, they were playing at like this 120 win pace, you know, sort of a dream season for everyone. And then, you know, the Astros came to town in June and kind of like punched them in the mouth and they hit them, you know, in, a, in like kind of a day game and won a series and then, you know, beat them again in a doubleheader coming out of the break. And it's like, oh, well, oh, that's a bit of a problem. Uh, and the Astros kind of ran away with the division from there. And so it's uh, or not the division, the league, you know, again, got home field advantage. So it should be a fun one. It's uh, two teams who play each other a lot and, uh, you know, have seem to have some sort of antipathy for each other. Uh, it's going to be interesting seeing the quick turnaround with the series, obviously because of the rain delay on Monday. Yankees-Guardians went to yesterday. And then, of course, turnaround quick game one of the ALCS today. How is that going to affect the Yankees' rotation and the arms that they have available to them? Yeah, I mean, it puts them at a disadvantage. Um, they're going to have Jameson Tyone going tonight, most likely, I believe, Luis Severino in game two, and then they won't be able to get to Garrett Cole until uh, game three. Um, which, you know, as compared to the Astros were able to kind of set their deck correctly and they'll have, you know, Verlander going tonight. So, yeah, it, it always, you know, if you don't win in if – you, if you go the maximum number of games, it always puts you at a disadvantage. And with the way the schedule has worked out this year, you know, without getting an off day, it puts them at even more of a disadvantage. But, you know, that's like, hey, that's you, know, you got to win the games in front of you. Uh, they can't really control the rain out stuff. That's a bit of a bad break. But, you know, I don't really think anyone's going to be uh, spilling too many tears for anyone who's still alive in the postseason at this point. Uh, the Despite the what we heard earlier uh, from San Diego and the Padres rap, I'm still cheering for the Padres despite that video's existence and I, I you know last night was tough just one hit they couldn't muster anything uh for really another game uh, the, the closing game against the Dodgers on Saturday night you know for the 5-3 final 
the Padres bats were largely silent for two thirds of that game until they had that big explosion in the seventh inning. So it's consecutive games where they've gone long stretches without hits. But I think the focus here probably needs to be more on what the Phillies did and what their pitching did. Um, how is this happening? <laughs> because I did not anticipate Philly being a kind of team that could go on this run, but it certainly seems like everything is working at the right moment for the Phillies. They're getting good pitching performances. They're getting the timely hitting, the timely power hitting as well. It just seems like one of those teams that has caught fire at the right moment. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way of phrasing it. I mean, they have certain things that play really well this time of year. They have two elite starting pitchers and Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. You know, you saw what Wheeler can do yeah. last night. Um, they have a lot of power, as you saw last night with Harper and Schwarber. And, uh, you know, on a day when they didn't really hit much, they hit two bombs, and that was enough. Um, their bullpen hasn't blown up yet, so we'll see if that holds over the next few weeks. That's always uh, liable to happen. But yeah, I mean, they, they do certain things that, that play really well. If you have elite starting pitching that you're, you know, you're willing to ride out. And if you have, uh, you know, bats that can hit home runs, like that tends to go well. And then like, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that makes the Padres like beating the Dodgers so funny, the Dodgers are like a remarkably better team than yes. the Padres. Yes, they are like, much they better. Are so much better at baseball, but that's not how it works. You don't line it up on a piece of paper and say, who's got better players? You actually have to go out and play the game. And the Dodgers didn't show up. Like, they, you know, they just didn't show up. They didn't play well. They didn't execute. They, you know, had terrible uh, situational at-bats. You know, they, they blew up uh, the pitching in the seventh inning of game four. And so this Padres, this mediocre Padres team is playing in the, in the NLCS. And you're asking questions like, how come they're not hitting? Well, they haven't hit all year. Yeah. No, <laughs> they're I, not a particularly good team offensively, but they, they, they beat the Dodgers because the Dodgers just didn't show up. Was there a decided favorite heading into this Phillies Padres series? Uh, I mean, I would pick the Phillies just because I, 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 I prefer their top end talent slightly more, but it's a coin flip. I mean, mm. you got two, you know, an 89 win team and an 87 win team. You have good starting pitching on both sides. Like Darvish pitched pretty well last night. You're going to have Blake Snell who uh, can kind of be up and down, but when he's, when he's locked in, can be really tough for five or six innings. You got Joe Musgrove was pretty good. Yep. Obviously they have Manny Machado and Juan Soto. They have Josh Hader at the back end, Robert Suarez, who's like emerged as like a, you know, 2002 K rod sort of figure. Um, but uh, yeah, I would, I would just think the Phillies, the Phillies just have a sort of team of destiny vibe about them, uh, you know, with, with just sort of their entire uh, uh, antics. So I, I would take them as to win this series. I would have, I picked them before last night. So obviously they're even more of a favorite now, but only one team has the goose, right? So and this is good analysis. Yeah. The goose is very important. Uh, oh yeah, That's right. I thought, so but you could, I thought the goose, was like a do- like the goose was in L.A. That's an L.A. goose. I didn't understand mm. how the Padres just you know they stole Goose Valor and they're like the goose is ours. Like that goose is living in Chavez Ravine. That's not a San Diego goose. No, I know. Now the goose is wearing a flat brim hat and ordering fish tacos <laughs> like everybody else <laughs> in San Diego. Yeah, the goose, is, the, the goose is texting all their friends like, "Did you see Tom DeLonge join the twenty eighty two? Andy, I want to talk a bit about the Dodgers. What do you think their off season is going to look like? Uh, yeah. I mean, look, if, if it's, if it goes the way most Dodgers off seasons go, uh, they're going to do some cosmetic things and maybe try and add a star in free agency. They're going to be aggressive on Jacob DeGrom. They're going to be aggressive on Aaron judge, uh, but they'll be aggressive in their Dodgerian way where they're trying to offer, you know, short-term deals with uh, big money attached, which I don't know if it's going to get it done on either of them. 
Um, I think that, you know, they're not going to, you know, they've, they've basically said they're not going to make major changes to, you know, uh, like the coaching staff, like Dave Roberts will be back, you know, Andrew Friedman obviously uh, will is still in charge. I mean, I don't think there's really uh, too much reason to, you know, like make personnel changes. I think the bigger thing the Dodgers really need to spend time thinking about uh, is if philosophically the way they see the game is compatible with the reality of what postseason baseball is like. And so, you know, Andrew Friedman had a long press conference yesterday uh, where he talked a lot about just kind of uh, what went wrong. And, and some of it is like really simple. Like if they had like four more hits with runners in scoring position, they're playing tonight, you know, like they're hosting game two of the CS tonight. Like the, it, that's the, the simplest thing is that they did not hit. Yeah. Their stars did not hit. However, they do do things from a pitching perspective and the way that they script games and the way that they try and, you know, sort of uh, game plan that it makes it challenging to execute night after night after night. And if it didn't catch up to them in the DS, it might've caught up to them in the CS or the world series, the way it has year after year after year with the way that they sort of diagram, you know, how they want to get through games pitching wise. And I think for me, what they should be doing is really thinking about if the way that they see the world is the right way to continue looking at it because the evidence suggesting they need to change some things is pretty obvious, I think, to outsiders. Uh, Andy, one final thing before we let you go, and we are in Vancouver, so the two teams, either via proximity or via Canada, that we pay the most attention to, the Seattle Mariners and the Toronto Blue Jays, both made the postseason, first time they've ever been the postseason together. Mariners break that really long drought. It was a good run, although they fell short and got the sweep that didn't really feel like a sweep against the Astros. We all know what happened to the Jays. Um, based on what you saw during the regular season and the postseason for each team, who has the brighter future? Is it the Seattle Mariners or the Toronto Blue Jays? That's a good question. Um, I'm going to say the Blue Jays because I think that their positional player core uh, is stronger. Um, and I think that those – you saw that on, in a year in which none of their guys really had outlier seasons, like where they're all kind of like okay, mm-hmm. like good to great, you know, but not like – elite um but they're still a pretty good club and i think there's a lot more in the tank you know for guys like um vlad guerrero for bobachette uh you know Kevin Vigio, obviously you know the oscar hernandez like i think if, if, if they're just a bit healthier um they're a bit more locked in from day one i think they're you know they have a chance to like win the east next year right i think there's a lot of talent there i you know the, the, the mariners are good they do a lot of things well um i'm curious to see you know, how much, uh, like what they'll be offensively next year. I don't know how many of their hitters I would really bet on moving forward outside of, you know, Julio Rodriguez, but um, I do like their pitching. They obviously do some things well there. Locking up Castillo was great. Uh, They're both, you know, I think they're both going to be good. I don't really foresee either one being as good, say, as the Astros next year. Right. Um, But, you know, whatever. We'll see what happens this winter, right? There's a lot that can change. Like, they go, you know, the the Blue Jays could just go sign Aaron Judge or something. Like, I mean, I don't (laughs) see Jacob DeGrom going to Canada, but, um, you know, but, yeah, I I, like, you know, there's lots of things that could happen, I guess, to change that. Uh, Two games on the docket today, obviously. Game two, NLCS, Phillies-Padres. Phillies got a one nothing lead then. And then the the nightcap, 437 our time, Yankees-Astros game one of what should be a very interesting ALCS. Andy, thanks a lot for doing this today, man. We really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Uh, enjoy the games tonight. Likewise. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. That's Andy McCullough, uh, senior MLB writer for The Athletic here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet. All the Jays need to do is go and sign Aaron Judge. That's easy. Just mm-hmm. do that. You're going to get way better. 
That's yeah. baseball he'll, he'll analysis. Help you. He he'll will help. You. He will hit more home runs for your team. The thing about baseball is you go and do that move, and then you're worse somehow. Yeah, that's, he hit 16 how, home runs. And how did the Jays not have a goose? Yeah, well, they have a roof. Yeah, There's no goose yeah, getting in late in the year. He could maybe go through the front. <laughs> There's so He's many. So many geese. You know, get a goose. The goose um, is always missing. I, I, I didn't realize until we were talking to Andy that the goose was in L.A. at Chavez Ravine. I thought his the goose, well, they won that game, right? The goose origin story was in San Diego. I forgot it right. was in it was in L.A. Well, the goose the goose traveled to the game. He did. They, um, yeah, they need to. They're milking it still, and I think that they, you know, internet memes aren't supposed to last too long. It's twenty four hours, mm-hmm. right? Like, boom goes the dynamite guy. In the modern climate, would have forty eight hours of relevance. Oh, and then, I don't know about that. I think that's so. a legend, I though. I still think about I, it. But that was early internet. That was yeah. early internet. That's now true. we're so inundated with stuff. Memes last a while. I think they last longer than forty eight hours. Anyway, but getting to the point, they needed to drop that and pick up something new for the Philly series. You can't do the the goose. No, you have it. one thing. Now nah, you not have gonna one work. thing on the playoff run. The Mariners nope. were going to ride that shoe head thing all the way to the World Series. So I just dis- I disagree. The, we we live in a <laughs> yeah. society now where our attention span is too short. <laughs> what if they capture <laughs> we the need goose? To change it up every round. What if they capture the goose and release it at random points during the game? As a way of sort of celebrating you the would goose. would hold a goose captive. Well, yeah, maybe yeah. They, they would Jeez, treat him with respect. Please. He would be would a guest. They, him like they would feed him well. They'd give him drinks. He would, he would have his nice little seat. But he still couldn't leave if he Correct. wanted to, Correct. He's right? still a prisoner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. He's in a cage. <laughs> he's not going anywhere. Yeah. He's treated well, but he's stuck there. God, it sounds like a, the prisoner of war, but the officer's variety. Yeah. <laughs> Look at all these emails coming in from the BCSPCA. This is interesting. Uh, why, why did you have to get your dog? <laughs> you are your both dogs. You should have had more compassion for animals. Are you done? I'm done. Have okay. you ever approached oh, a Canada goose done. before? No. Yeah, I have. They hiss at you. Yeah, they're not nice. Well, this yeah. wasn't a Canada goose, though. This was a Los Angeles goose. Wow. It's much more stylish. <laughs> They judge the Canadian geese. It's like, nice jean jacket, buddy. And it's got a drug problem. (laughs) Where'd you get the Canadian tuxedo? Yeah. Okay. Okay. What are we talking about? We are going to return to the Canucks talk in just a few minutes when Dan Murphy joins us. I just wanted to quickly mention what was going on at the NFL owners meetings Mm -hmm. because, boy, it was fun. Not only did Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft apparently have a bit of a yelling match with each other a heated exchange a heated exchange over the future of roger goodell uh and specifically how much they're going to pay this guy in a new contract that was like the minor story of this meeting the major story was that momentum is apparently building to try and force dan snyder out as the owner of the washington commanders and jim ursay the Colts owner, who has an interesting past, mm-hmm. some might call it checkered, mm-hmm. he's now become the face of the push to get rid of Dan Snyder. Roger Goodell is like, there's an investigation going on. Let's just hold our horses here, and once the investigation is finished, then we'll make a decision. Jim Mersey was like, yeah, I've got enough information. I want this guy out, and here's what he had to say. Well, I, I just think um, what's happened in the workplace – you know, having three daughters, seven granddaughters, um, to me, um, it's something that I think serious consideration has to be given to the removal, and we have complete authority to do that. Of him or just the order family, period? I, I think, uh, in general, of, of him 
uh, being removed and selling the franchise. So here's the fun part, if you can consider this fun. One of the reasons that's been put out there that NFL owners and maybe Roger Goodell would be hesitant to oust Dan Snyder is that according to reports by ESPN, Dan Snyder has been keeping, um, I don't know what you would call it, a dossier? Dossiers. On on various owners. It's like the steel dossier. Dirt on owners in that if they do push to rid um, Dan Snyder or to get rid of Dan Snyder, the Dan Snyder is going to open up those dossiers and be like, oh, yeah, you want to know something bad about this guy? Yeah. Here it is. Now, Dan Snyder's in a bit of a jam because he said, uh, those dossiers don't exist. Well, also, even, So it is a game of chicken right now. Even if he had a dossier on Ursay, Ursay would probably be like, go ahead. Yeah. Say what you got to say. Yeah. All my dirt's out in public anyway. Right. He is. No, I'm know. not even joking. Like, well, maybe that's one of the reasons why he's he's leading this charge. But do you think there are a couple of owners that are like, shut up, Jim. I have some skeletons in the closet. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think I was watching uh, Mike Garofalo from NFL Network yesterday talking about if they were to conduct a vote right now mm-hmm. and the owners could vote without fear of the illegal dossier being dropped on him, he said they'd probably have an – you need 24 of the 31 votes, so two-thirds. He, they would probably have 24 owners who would be in favor of getting rid of Dan Snyder right. as an owner. So that's a pretty overwhelming thing. The fact that Ursay did this, I mean, essentially broke ranks and mm-hmm. said the quiet yeah, Goodell wasn't that. happy with it. No, of course not. He doesn't want the owners' meetings turning into the Royal Rumble, which is exactly what it is. Yeah. Right. The, the NFL, like me personally, I love this because it just adds another layer of drama. Do you, you think any billionaires might have some skeletons in the closet? Do you think no, that's possible, none. or do you think most of them have just been like great people? I've found that the most powerful and most wealthy people are often the best people. It's right. true. It's the true. ones because they're so driven, they're also yes. driven to be good. Many yes. are saying this. Yes, <laughs> many people all say the philanthropists. You, the, the, the Venn diagram of philanthropy and billionaire. Yeah, is just a flat circle. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's the same thing. So I look at this and I'm saying, you may as well lean into your owners being almost caricatures. Why not? Sure. Why not? Right. I mean, these are oh, some Jerry, of, Jerry Jones is a caricature. Yeah. Most most of the, the yeah. there's some anonymous faceless owners, and they don't want to be out in the front. But like Jerry Jones, and like, you couldn't draw him up. You could ask a cartoonist like, draw me a rich Texas oilman well, <laughs> that owns a very popular. He's the, he's the Texan character in The Simpsons. who's always like shooting his guns off. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. the caricature drawer at the ferry, and the, the guy's just like, no, I can't draw you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're perfect the way you are. Right? And then um, a lot of these guys, this is all second and third generation inheriting the team from their parents, right? Ursay is one of them. Um, Mark Davis. Could you make up Mark Davis? No. That is the most, like, I, you no, know what I'm talking about, up. Andy? The haircut, right? right? Yeah, Raiders owner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, of course. Who conducts all of his office on a flip phone, or yeah. all of his business on a flip phone from a, a booth at P.F. Chang's? Like, it's right. a, you can't make yeah. it up. So I, I'm- The son of the legend, too? Yeah, and he's just, it's just, it's, it's amazing and fascinating because it's a whole new dynamic that, over the course of time, has played itself out where the, the antics of the owners has become its own- not even subplot. Like, it's adjacent to what's going on on the field. People mm-hmm. pay attention to this stuff. The players, I think it's hilarious. The players must love this, too. Quietly. They're just like, this is amazing. <laughs> let these guys let these guys eat each other. Like, it's amazing when this gets... <laughs> so, yesterday, for example, 
the back and forth between. Ah, dang it. There's Halford's laptop again. You boomer. <laughs> Turn off Why the Why don't you get a laptop from this century? <laughs> so Audio my, randomly. Have you noticed this? I got this laptop fixed at Staples, and they put a sticker on it that is like it's welded on to the laptop, so I've just never taken it off. You had that laptop when we worked like three jobs ago. The sticker oh, yeah. says fixed, and they spelled fixed wrong. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what the laptop version of? You know um, the great big American cars that you see in movies like Casino? Yeah. Yeah. Like the big caddies. Yeah. Yeah. That's the laptop. Halford's like, laptop how is still, that? Is he still using how, Windows 3.1? How is that thing on gas? Well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Why when, is it smoking? When they try and plant a bomb underneath this thing, <laughs> <laughs> its weight and density will actually protect me from dying, which is nice. So, uh, I, anyway, I want to. Just wanted, get a new laptop, though. So, the, okay, I want to tell you about the back and forth, though. Okay. Between, <laughs> this is great. Stop changing the subject. Get a no, new laptop. No, this is, this is, I will get a new laptop. I have a work one. It broke. Shockingly, something from this company broke. Um, Kraft and Maybe Jerry this Jones. laptop sat on that laptop <laughs> and broke true. it. It's girth. Was this is other, like a Stanza's wallet, but it's in laptop the other form. La- the other laptop just gave it. We're, we're joke-topping The again. laptop weighs more than you do. We're joke-topping. Okay, everyone, everyone stop and let Helfer talk. Okay. The back and forth between Robert Kraft and Jerry Jones. So <laughs> Jerry Jones said, to, <laughs> I don't know why I find this so funny. He said to Ro- <laughs> Jerry Jones looks at Robert Kraft, and he's like, don't F with me. And then Kraft replied, excuse me? And then Jerry Jones said, don't mess with me. Said <laughs> <laughs> <Instead of> politely. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to swear. Robert Kraft went, uh, language. Language, please, Jerry. <laughs> We're in front of mixed company. Okay, we got to go to break. Uh, Dan Murphy's coming up at 8.05. Uh, we'll talk Canucks with him or whatever. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650.